When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Williams. In this episode, I interview Andy Rodden, the CEO of Schmoop. For the last 20 years, Andy has been focused as an entrepreneur, building, transforming, and growing companies. He's been involved in educational technology for years on a variety of companies, and in this interview, we chat about why former teachers make such great resources for educational companies. Make sure to listen until the very end and hear best practices for interviewing for these types of roles outside of the classroom. Hey, Andy, thank you so much for joining me here today. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate the time that you take to, to do these things. So, Andy, you are the CEO of a company called Schmoop. Can you tell me a little bit about your role in creating businesses and educational technology in general? Yeah, absolutely. I'll kind of give you like a little bit of my quick history and then I'll get then I'll go right into kind of what the business does and what some of our goals and what we're trying to accomplish are from a high level. So uh, I received an education in mechanical engineering. And after receiving a, a mechanical engineering degree, I worked as a mechanical engineer for a short time. And then I found myself almost immediately training people how to use advanced technology to go get their job done. So it was like a, the first introduction to me as an educator in showing people how to how to really accomplish really complex tasks. And so I, I, those were classroom environments. Um, while they were super advanced, a lot of the same rules apply when it comes to educating people from you know baseline uh, reading writing skills all the way through some real advanced techniques so as i progressed forward um, i got involved heavily in innovation in the 3d design space eventually found myself working for a, a really large company by the name of autodesk we were really facilitating software to millions of customers and i was leading those teams and one of the problems that we had was we ran into educating our customers at large scale so when you think about trying to educate 35 million people from a digital office, uh, it becomes really challenging. Um, we, we used to educate all of our customers on how to use our products in in-person training classes. So 
we started doing this online, especially as the customer base continued to grow and they were in all different countries across the world. It was really hard to, to educate them and not yearly, but every three months as, as technology continued to come out. So eventually I found myself starting a business unit at a company called Pluralsight. And Pluralsight was up to that point, uh, investing time and effort into creating course content to educate people around how to code. So how to code in a variety of different languages. I came into the business to bring in the design and engineering aspect of, of that business. And so I founded that portion of the company. And we we built that business up through all the way through uh, bringing the company public in 2018. And I was introduced on um, in, in kind of just the, the development and the continuation of that business to a couple by the name of Dave and Ellen Simonoff, who are the founders of Schmoop. And... Um, Dave and Ellen started Schmoop really with the inherent idea of, of really trying to facilitate help to teachers and to be able to speak a student's language and to be able to democratize education at scale. And so I took the business over in 2018 and we've been driving innovation um, ever since coming here, the, the day of and just relentlessly doing that day after day after day. And it's been absolutely awesome to get involved in online education and education in general to a lower um, age bracket. It's been awesome to get involved earlier in someone's development and progress as as we as I continue my my journey forward of of running different businesses and it, it's been absolutely a, a pleasure to be able to learn and to grow with all of our students so it sounds like you have a lot of experience working in technology companies in general and this is maybe perhaps your first time in a very strictly education-based and when I say education I'm saying more k-12 type of education company what kinds of differences are you seeing from a business perspective when you're making decisions as a CEO of a education company? Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people will say, you know, right off, like, what are you doing? What, what, what right do you have to involve yourself in K through 12 education? What's the point of you getting involved in that if you've never worked in K through 12 education? And and actually, if you if you really start thinking about um, people who run companies. Well, one of the well-known secrets to success is to actually run a business that you know nothing about uh, because you look at it with a completely different lens. Uh, if you look at some of the most successful CEOs, they've gotten involved in things that they they haven't historically um, had just tons of, of, of knowledge and understanding. And because they can look at things in a, with a little bit different perspective and in a different light, I think is probably some of it. Um, but the other thing that it requires is I, in order to run a successful business, you need a team. You, you can't uh, do everything independently, which means I have to rely on team members in order to get certain things done. I might understand how to run an organization, how to grow an organization, how to invest in a company, and how to think about the different levers and business metrics that are important for a company to grow and be successful. But I might not have as much understanding when it comes to what test prep solutions or how we should think about test prep. I might not have a less clear of understanding of how our products um, should be used in the classroom. And so that that is where additional team members come in, in, into the picture to make our business successful. The business is only as successful as the people that 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 are running it. And we're, we're really uh, beneficial enough to have a, an awesome team here at Schmoop and, and every team member that we have. I would say um, if one of us uh, comes up short of, of accomplishing our goals, we all, we all suffer. So 
the the concept of all of us driving success forward is reliant on each and every one of us. And and this is where our team members um, understanding education and understanding how our applications fit into the classroom and help teachers really become important as we progress forward. I love that you acknowledge that there's a gap in content and that everybody has like their own zone of genius. And it sounds like for you, you're very aware of the fact that some of your zone of genius might not be pedagogy. And so you start to invite subject matter experts or former teachers into your company to work to bring their zone of genius and make it overall a strategy within your company. Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah, yeah, you are. I mean, I think the reality is, um, I think I knew just enough about ed tech. I mean, if you really think about it, I'm probably underplaying my knowledge in education and even in the K through 12 space to a point. I, there, There is an aspect of, you know, I spent years developing uh, video-based course content. So for example, there's an underlying concept of understanding of how you teach people. A teacher, you know, receives a certification or degree to think about how, how to teach someone. What my education and teaching came from um, my visits to uh, YouTube or to MIT Learning Access Platform to think about if you go create a video and let's say the video is seven minutes in length, the video is going to be much less digested than maybe a video that's three and a half minutes in length. So the concept of behavioral science and how people digest information, how much voice fluctuation happens, how much interesting uh, verbiage is put into content, how many different layers of, of teaching goes on in a single paragraph if it's written, all these different like behavioral science methods behind teaching are things that I've learned in a different way than probably an educator has learned from a, from just a different lens. But the, the concept of bringing those things together into the classroom, yeah, it absolutely is reliant on how, one, we create products, um, which we do that directly with our customers through customer interviews. What we here at Schmoop never sit down and create technology here that we think is cool or relevant from our perspective, the way that we approach it is is probably the way everybody should do it. But some things that we've learned from best practices in the past, which is you sit down and interview as many customers as possible. Now, you have to be careful about how you ask questions in those interviews. You have to understand what kind of, you know, leading questions you might ask someone to understand how you develop products. Some of the coolest things that we've developed this last year are all customer ideas. They, they don't come from us. They come from our customers. So one, you have to know one, who to talk to. You have to understand kind of where to lead your customers to. You have to understand what the needs are of your customers, but you also have to be able to communicate them with, with them. And once you've built products, you have to be able to resonate with your customers. I'm not gonna resonate as well with our customers as a, a teacher would resonate, an ex-teacher would resonate with our customers. So all of our sales reps, as an example, are all previous teachers. They're um, some of them are previous counselors, previous principals, uh, previous superintendents. Like it, it, it really, there's a variety of different people that that work at Schmoop that have um, an education background in the K through 12 space. And so you mix those two things together. It's it's the most beautiful thing ever. It really, it really ends up being a powerful way to think about how one we develop technology because. The one thing a teacher might not understand is um, they want to go create all these amazing bits of content or these these th this amazing platform. They have no experience in how to go build the platform, which is 
in and of itself a massive undertaking. And there's a lot of complexities and, and long stream thought that really should go into building that from the ground up. So when you bring those worlds together, that's, in our opinion, how you develop the most innovative, helpful content that, that's going to be existed in the classroom. Taking it back just a notch to what you just spoke about, because every point that you pressed on was absolutely perfect. There are so many people who are listening to this right now that even the mindset shift of customers or them being in a sales position feels like something that they're not comfortable with doing. And what I like to do is strip that back when you are talking about the different customers and how your customer success managers or your sales team works with customers. What you're talking about is all former teachers who are talking to different districts and they're not, you know, pushing an aggressive sales metric or a sales quota. They're figuring out with this school's district initiatives, this is how our product can help support them. And with this school's different initiatives, this is how our product can support them. And they know a difference between a gifted and talented focus or a STEM focus or a school that might be struggling to bring its readers to a third grade level. And there's a difference with all the different districts and teachers are the ones that have been in those positions where they understand the thought process and the concerns of the customers, the concerns of the teachers of why teachers might say, this would work better for me than this, because it's too much for me to implement this if I'm running this at the same time. That, that's exactly right. I mean, when, when you really think about like each of our value in kind of the scope of life, we all kind of have different parts that are helping our world progress. And, you know, at some level, some of us get better at doing one thing versus another thing. Um, when I first worked as a mechanical engineer, it was probably similar to a lot of your listeners that I decided I didn't want to be a mechanical engineer the rest of my life. The, almost the first day I sat down at work, I realized I can't sit behind a desk and design stuff all day. It doesn't fit my passions and my desires. And I was really concerned because I had gone to school for almost a decade to learn how to do something. And all of a sudden I was changing my mind the day I sat down. And, I, and that was concerning to me, but it ended up being one of the most beautiful things ever for the rest of my professional career. And that is, you're not left to like just one specific job. When, when I was at Pluralsight, we um, taught people how to code at some levels. We had doctors come and utilize the platform and change their career from a medical industry to, to become developers. And so like there were all these dramatic changes of people that we got to see and myself included here at Schmoop, um, when you think about business at the simplest level, you're just simply creating something that fills a need or helps the world progress. And you're then selling that product to the people who need to use it. And in the end, you're both becoming more successful as a result of doing both of those things. And so it does take specific effort. Like there are, there is kind of a beautiful science to creating amazing products. And we, we do all we can to follow those best practices here at the company. There's also a beautiful science to actually selling a product, like resonating with people and connecting with people and providing value to them. And it's even more beautiful when those things all work together. And, you know, we, you have long-term relationships. Like I think it would be hard if you work for a company and the, the products you built didn't really impact the world in a positive way. It's, it's, you know, we're not selling used cars at Schmoop. 
but used cars are still needed. So that's not necessarily a bad thing either, right? So the concept of you know being able to provide something really meaningful does help a lot. But um, the, the next concept of all of our customer relationships, I would say most of the sales reps here that work with customers have these awesome you know relationships where they're texting their customers and the people they're selling to sometimes run into roadblocks like, oh, we can't afford this or this isn't working or this person's not approving it or we can't, we can't do this. They work kind of as a team together to get the products into the door so that the students can really reap the benefit. So when you think about it, you're not really selling per se. What you're doing is you're partnering with your customers. You're figuring out a path forward to drive success. And that's that that kind of you almost don't have to call it sales, but but that's what we do because it's kind of a group or an entity to to identify. And so a lot of people are afraid to move into sales, but um, without sales or without product, you just don't have a business. Like you have, you have to sell things in order to go create more beautiful things. And, and, and so all these, all these factors are needed, but, but yeah, I would say our sales reps and our customer success managers, our, our product developers, the engineers, um, the UX designers, all these individuals understand and have these, these backgrounds that come from the classroom. And then other individuals don't on purpose because we want them, you know, someone that comes from the classroom might not have the best UI UX idea. Like the, a, a classroom teacher might have not been the best person to design the iPhone, um, you know, because of how the curvature is or how it sits in your hand. And there's thought processes that go into that, that, that kind of go beyond the classroom. But the iPhone in the classroom could be a really beautiful thing. In fact, iPads are used all over the place, right? So the the concept there is it's it's just a different perspective on how things progress, but you have to bring together people's value and, and individuals value from the school system. Those are really the only individuals that are able to resonate and understand the challenges in the classroom that can communicate how these products that we offer provide value in those spaces. One thing I wanted to touch back on is I heard you mention a couple of roles that are very common in educational technology companies. And even something as simple as product manager, when I say it, I've worked in educational technology companies for the last four years after I left the classroom. But a lot of people hear you say all of these words and they probably are like, oh, let me write everything down. I need to look that up. Or it's probably out of, you know, I'm feeling imposter syndrome and that couldn't be me. But you said that you reach out to your customers, your clients, your school districts, and you ask them what they need. And that probably gives you some sort of assessment of what your next products potentially could be or improvement that you can make to your curriculum or products that you sell to the classroom, that most likely would be a product manager position who goes and relays that information and says, it's important for us to change this to simplify things for teachers in this way. Yep. It's, it's important that the marketing team as they start to create more resources, adds this type of language because teachers are confused that our product is able to support them in this way. So product managers are very commonly someone who's kind of tying all the pieces together, but keeping timelines, but that easily could be a former teacher at an educational company. Yeah, um, absolutely. Your sales roles might have implementation aspects of it. Some companies, some educational technology companies have different roles. Some of the sales roles have implementation, which just basically means 
you're walking and helping the customer learn how to use the product, how to go online. And any teacher who's been doing virtual learning at this point is basically an implementation specialist of how to do XYZ in Google Classroom. Like they have it nailed and they still feel that imposter syndrome when it comes to actually applying for roles like this. They don't realize all they have to do is translate a couple of academic vocabulary words in their head and go in with the knowledge of what that company does and how they know it could support teachers. And I think that's the part that's been like missing for a lot of teachers is really feeling that confidence. I want, before we go too far into that, I want to hear just a layout of like, what does Schmoop exactly do and how does it support teachers? Because there are probably teachers who are listening right now that might want to look it up as well. Yeah, for sure. I'll give you a quick overview of like the different things we offer. So we have over 6 million users on our platform that have come to us for homework help. They go to us for ideas of, of working on their essays. Um, they go for us, uh, go come to us for ideas of how to get help with their math homework. Um, those are our, what we refer to as our B2C users or our direct to consumer users. We, we basically supply all that stuff for free as a way to help those students. And, and, and then on the, on the back end of our platform or the paid portions of our platform, schools purchase access to Schmoop to use in the classroom for additional resources. So the stuff that they're purchasing access to are our courses. So we have, we have over 400 courses that go from grades six through 12 primarily. We also provide video-based learning, which um, there's over 10,000 videos on Schmoop that can be used in conjunction with current curriculum. That's, that's one aspect of a product, which we name our courses. We also offer uh, Heartbeat, which is our SEL tool. And it's a very innovative tool. It was created by our teachers, for our teachers. Uh, the concept there is we're basically analyzing 55 factors. So to give some perspective, Castle analyzes five. We analyze all of those. Uh, we, we, we analyze um, a whole bunch of additional factors where we worked with Digital, uh, Digital Promise, who is a nonprofit organization that's connected when, when, when someone's looking at their reading or writing skills, how those things maybe influence or are connected to their emotional um, behavior, or maybe they're connected to whether they haven't been eating breakfast every morning for the past uh, three weeks. So there's concepts of maybe how tired they are or how emotional they're feeling and how much they can actually concentrate on reading a paragraph and, and discerning what's in that paragraph. So the concepts of how these things um, are related is what Heartbeat is analyzing and then providing teachers insights to. And then we also provide test prep content. So we have test prep materials on ACT, SAT, and then um, 35 AP exams. And then last but not least, we provide tools around response to intervention, which are very relevant you know, in today's world with, with how things have kind of slid uh, through COVID and not kind of knowing where kids are uh, because of just the challenges of teaching kids across, across the web. So yeah, there's all these tools are intended to be used by teachers in the classroom. So we sell this stuff to schools so that they have access to it. Yeah, and so that's holistically what we're, what we're, what we're doing. The roles that we kind of have that facilitate us getting those things into the classroom, they relate around one, the development of the technology, which you know we can go down that path for a long time, all the way to, um, to actually providing the technology. So we have sales reps, which we call account executives or senior account executives here at Schmoop. 
And then we also have customer success managers and the customer success managers um, are the ones who are primarily working with the customers, the teachers, the principals, the superintendents over the year of, of that contract. So we sell, we sell license access for usually about a year. Some states or districts buy it for a couple years or three years. And then we also have support specialists, people who implement the products, um, people who support if there's a problem. So we have, we take a lot of pride in our support team, which moved because not a lot of businesses like ours have really good support teams, but we do. We think that's an important aspect of our business, which means all those people are dealing with teachers and principals and superintendents all the time. If people don't understand what they do, there's, there's, I would have, I hate to say it like this, but there's not a lot of value in me hiring somebody that doesn't have a teaching background. Uh, I can't, I can't, teach the teaching background, but I can teach someone like, for example, how to sell or how to support or how to implement. Th those things are not that complicated, but your imposter syndrome kind of comment earlier around how they might be feeling. Uh, there really shouldn't be any. It's it's not super complicated. Usually when we're selling to schools or districts, the comment comes back, well, how, is it going to be possible for us to implement this? There's a lot of nerves around that. There's kind of concerns. And we kind of laugh a little bit inside. We, we try not to laugh on the Zoom call, but we laugh a little bit inside, like it's not that hard to implement this stuff. It's not as challenging. The hard part is is making the product and writing the content. And that's, that's the hard part. And so um, implementing it is super easy through a single sign-on and through Clever or whatever tools that, that we use. And we've th that's the work that we've had to do in the background. But for, for a teacher to be able to work with schools um, there, there's just tremendous amount of value um, that, that they should realize that and power that they have uh, in kind of progressing their career forward if that's something they want to do. when you were describing what your products did, you said online courses, you have that great um, social emotional learning component to it as well on the side. I had obvious questions in my own head that a regular salesperson wouldn't already think to question. In my head, I thought, okay, well, is this on your own learning or is it meant for implementation or small groups? Is it general education or is it more specialized towards like a STEM focus? What types of demographics do best with it? What types of, um, you know, accessibility features are included in this? These are all questions that teachers have. And that means customers are going to ask where your salespeople, you could teach them that, but if they didn't have a teaching background, they, their brains would explode when people start to ask them. There's a <laughs> full degree of education that they would have to start making inferences about. And there's a lot of slip ups that happen at educational companies when people who don't have a teaching background come in and they try and say, matter of factly, you should buy this product because it does this when the pedagogy doesn't line up and they don't know what they're talking about. That's actually something that ends up hurting a company and companies know that. No, it for sure does. What you're actually referring to is in sales lingo, what you're referring to is objection handling. And um, and so when, when a customer comes to us with an objection, that's actually to us, the more objections, the better. Because the, the way now most salespeople would be afraid of objections because objections are like, oh, the customer is pushing back on me or they don't like, actually what that is, it's a, it's a sign to us that they're actually interested. And so um, we look at that as like, awesome. There's a lot of objections. The only individuals that can really handle objections. Objections are either legitimate objections, meaning something can't do something, or they're, they're 
not valid objections. And for us, our goal is to like provide access to, to all students through teachers. And so we feel like, hey, there's solutions to these. If someone doesn't buy something because someone wasn't able to handle an objection because they didn't understand the language that that individual was speaking, but and they weren't able to tie what our product can do to what those objections are, that becomes a real big gap. So there's actually a problem on both sides. One is if the education technology won't do it, and two, if it will do it, but then the sales rep doesn't know what the the person's talking about, and then they and then they we actually could facilitate a huge gap or a huge problem. And there's and there's no we're not providing a solution just because the person didn't speak the same language as the teacher they were talking to. So that also happens a lot. And objection handling is really um, it's really listening and understanding to what the customer's concerns are. And in order to listen and understand, you have to come from kind of a a, a breadth of knowledge of what they're dealing with. And then once you're able to understand and digest what that individual is saying, you're then able to tell them just straight out what the solution does or doesn't do. And, and then as a result of that, um, you're either going to sell the product or you're not. Either one's okay, but it's being able to answer those questions and handle objections in a in a positive way so that you can answer so you can actually answer the questions realistically that the customers have. And that's part of selling. That's that's the majority of what you're doing when you're selling is understanding what your customers' needs are and either being able to fill up, fulfill them or or move to the next person that 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 wants those those solutions. All right, I'm going to ask the first yucky question. Um, yeah. When you've seen teachers who have come in and interviewed and they probably were great fits, but something didn't hit the mark, it just didn't click, what types of experiences have you had where teachers just weren't able to translate their roles with confidence in an interview that sold them for your company? Yeah, I think um, in the interview or even afterwards, we haven't had 100% of success with all teachers you know, across the board. The, the biggest thing that I've um, that I've run into is uh, lack of confidence. So um, I think I think one of the biggest challenges has been in hiring somebody is um, you know confidence comes through in, in a lot of different ways, but confidence is also authentic. And um, and so if you really believe um, that that you have the capability of doing something, you're going to have the ability to either learn and figure it out and progress forward or not. I myself. I wasn't born a CEO of a company. I didn't know, like the, the one thing that's kind of a fallacy is like CEOs of companies, oh, they just know how to be CEOs or they took all these classes to go become a CEO. Like absolutely not true. No one ever told me what I needed to do to become a CEO. There's no classes for that. So I had to go figure it out. I had to learn how to read a balance sheet. I had to learn how to um, how to understand where we should be at growth wise at our stage of company and understand business. I have to learn how to talk to venture capitalists. Like what does a venture capitalist do? Like, and so there's all this stuff is, is, is all learned. And so I think from a teacher perspective, if someone gets too frustrated, um, with progress, meaning they, um, they get frustrated because they have to put work and effort into gaining progress to, to learn something. Um, those people are probably going to struggle in in some of that change. If they're if they'd rather just be comfortable um, in in kind of where they're at and stay in a bubble, they're going to have a hard time getting out of that bubble. Now, a lot of people think that they're comfortable inside that bubble. Um, sometimes you have to break out of your comfort zone to know that you're really good at something. All you need is one bit of success. 
any teacher that comes into Schmoop, the first thing that we're after is helping them having their first win. It doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. That first win gives them so much confidence that they're hungry to learn more and they're hungry to progress forward. So I do think kind of the root authenticity of confidence probably comes from a desire to want to succeed. And um, there's nothing wrong. I think there's some people look at this in somewhat of an evil lens, but you know, capitalism and monetization of how much you make. Um, what, from my perspective about this, I think there's lots of evil and good perspectives about this whole topic. But I think the reality is, um, if you can line up making, you know, revenue for yourself, making a living for yourself, and doing something that's super meaningful in life, when those two things line up together, there's so much just gratification and power that comes in in doing that. And if everyone in the world had that capability, um, not everything's equalized yet in our in our society. But if but if we can gain that as we progress forward, this world is going to continue to be a more beautiful place to live in as we as we progress forward. So I think it's the I think it's the hunger, the want, the desire and kind of want to um, to succeed. And then you're gonna have to realize you're going to trip and fall down. So uh, if you've ever, you know, run a race, like the first time I ran my first track meet, which I'm not a runner, um, I, I ran a hurdle race for someone that wasn't there, and I tripped on every single hurdle all the way down the down the track. I got up on every single hurdle. I finished the race. So like, you have to realize that you're you're going to run into hurdles. You're going to fall down, and you're going to have to get back up. And and so you have to have a little bit of drive in you, and a little bit of passion, and a little bit of desire to want to do that. And you mix that with confidence and, and, and that's going to help you get across the finish line, in my opinion. I think something that I teach a lot of the teacher career coach course members, I have like an entire module just based on interviewing and getting them prepped all the basic questions of, you know, like, why would you leave teaching? But one of the best takeaways that I could give just right now is you are a human and please go in there being a human because your personality is gonna need to be a culture fit. But if you can't acknowledge, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't actually know the answer to that question. Or if you can't take a breath and say, oh, I kind of goofed that, I'm a little bit nervous because I'm excited about this. The people who go in who feel like robots, they're the ones that are really making it hard for other people to see the value of how they'll fit and embrace that role. So just going in confident, practicing it, but also realizing, these people expect you to have one or two answers that you're not 100% sure about. And it's okay for you to say, I'm super confident at the fact that I can learn that. You know, I learn new curriculum and teach it over the course of nine months in 48 hours span. I've done this, 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 and this in my lifetime, but I haven't, you know, studied uh, user experience before. So I'd need to look up that word before I really knew what you were talking about giving them that puzzle piece. And then also just to circle back a little bit on what you said about those who are struggling to fail. I think a lot of teachers fall into that like natural genius category of imposter syndrome, where if they don't feel like they are confident and perfect at something right from the start, they don't want to try it because failure is a, a scary option because they've been great at teaching and they've got this far in their career, that taking a step back and sucking at something, sorry about my language, if, but like taking a step back and, you know, not being perfect is terrifying. I fail all the time and I can definitely relate to 
everything I do has imposter syndrome all around it, but I just keep pushing. I just incorporated this business a month ago and I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, yeah. I have a team, I have a team underneath me that I'm managing and they are the kindest, sweetest people. And also to speak on that capitalism piece, I wouldn't be able to pay them if I didn't have some sort of revenue coming in from a digital course. And that's the way that you can keep doing something beautiful. So all the things that you touched on, I felt were perfect and I wanted to make sure I circled back on some of them. No, it's, it's awesome. I think I totally agree. The other thing that you said there is, you know, I think that's what all of us expect is, you know, I've, I heard a phrase the other day, like practice makes perfect. And the response was, no, it doesn't. Um, there is no perfect. So, so the concept, if someone walked into your classroom, me or someone else and said, you know what, your classroom experience is horrible. And, and you could be the best teacher. The, you would be super offended. You would be like, like, oh my gosh, how dare you? Like, why are you saying that about me? Because we're going to take personal offenses to it. I, I've had that happen to me several times in my professional career. You know, someone completely insulting something that I've done. Rather than um, get mad about it, a lot of those insults that I've had have come from some pretty amazing individuals. And when, when, when those individuals are able to communicate freely enough to tell me something that I have a lot of pride in, is is not up to par um only your friends tell you when your face is dirty um and so you know whether it's dirty or not or whether you could do better because you're you you have that much more ability um you know you have to also kind of think to yourself no one's perfect so you're going to start off at the lowest common denominator and you're going to progress forward practice helps you get towards perfection, but you're never going to accomplish perfection. It's it's perfect doesn't exist. So like, at least for me, it doesn't. And I think for most people, I don't, I would say most people in the world, it doesn't exist for. So that's, that's something that like, you just have to kind of accept as well as um, you could be really good at something. And the goal is to get to be really good and just keeping better. It doesn't matter how good you become as a human being, there's always better. So um, yeah, I, I think you have to be willing to learn and you have to be able to take feedback. Um, and and that's, that can be challenging sometimes, but, um, but something important. And the learning curve, I think, uh, I hope you don't mind me generalizing or like categorizing your business as technically like a startup, but I've worked at one of the biggest startup ed tech companies that the word startup has a connotation that I feel like some people might think that means it's a tiny unsuccessful business, which that's not the case. But sometimes working at startups, I have championed them because if you are a teacher and you're transitioning into a role where you want a lot of flexibilities and you want to learn a lot of different parts of a company, a startup will give you those opportunities in the way that you know, a, another type of business may not. You may go into a large company and they might say, this is your role. And it is very, you know, to a T, this is exactly what you do. Where startups might say, okay, you're a customer success, but I also see that you have a knack for marketing. We might have you own a couple of marketing projects as well. And you'll be able to put that experience on your resume. Do you feel like that's an accurate representation of how you've run your business or? Yeah, absolutely. We're probably maturing past that towards a little bit, but so I think the startup annotation, it's funny because people from Silicon Valley look at that as like a, a, that, that's not an insult. That's actually a compliment. And, and the reason they do that is because if you've ever worked at a startup before, you know that 
the smartest people in the world are the ones who work at startups. So when you get a chance to work next to these individuals, you're like, like I went from a big corporate, you know, position as that company grew at Autodesk, the company grew to you know, almost $4 billion in yearly sales. We had 20,000 employees. It wasn't a small thing anymore. So um, after that grew, you know, was working around a lot of people. And then I went back to a smaller business, a, a startup. And I realized the people I was working around were 10, 20 times smarter than me. I was like, oh my gosh, like I thought I was going to come into this company and being kind of like the, the you know, more knowledgeable individual. And I, I come in and I realize, oh my gosh, I don't know anything. I'm an idiot. And so th <laughs> that was kind of a, you know, startups have, um, a real benefit in, in the fact that the most brilliant people are usually working at those entities. There are some startups that aren't, you know, like that. But but when you think about, we're, we look, kind of look at ourselves as like a 12-year-old startup um, is kind of how we, we look at the business ourselves. And so, um, but, but I mean, some of the biggest, most progressive companies, Amazon can still considers themselves a startup. And so, so the, they still use that term because that's endearing to them. That's important to them. Um, and so, yeah, when you're working at a, at a startup at an environment like that, there is a need to be able to cross-functionally work amongst multiple organizations. Like when we created our product marketing message for Heartbeat, for our SEL tool, we were trying to figure out um, how we should get that messaging out to customers so that we could effectively communicate it in less time. Like we didn't want to spend 15 minutes on the phone explaining to somebody what the product did. We wanted to spend, you know, 10 seconds explaining what the product did. So we had to create a message and that required our sales teams to come together, our product teams to come together and, and everybody kind of filling marketing, you know, kind of responsibilities as you described them, if you will. So yeah, you get the benefit of being able to learn a lot of different facets of a business when you're working for a, for a quote startup. I champion for startups just because I've come from one myself and I've been able to see that, but I do know that people who don't have prior experience with it, sometimes just the name, it sparks fears of instability or just even a tech culture that they might not understand because they watched Silicon Valley once or twice. Um, so I, I really appreciate you kind of diving into that, uh, that mental block that might stop teachers. Well, thank you, Andy, so much for taking the time to be here today. I really appreciate it. I know there are so many teachers who are probably listening who want to dive in and actually check out some of your resources that were created by teachers and counselors for courses and social emotional learning. Where can they find your products? All they need to go is to uh, get on the internet and go to schmoop.com and they can find everything that they need there. We have two primary locations on Schmoop, one for our students and one for our teachers. They can go right to the top and go to teachers and, and, and schools and districts and they'll find all the information that they uh, are probably interested in as far as what we're providing to those to those schools. We're super excited this summer to be really doubling down on our efforts to get um, Heartbeat out to market. Um, Heartbeat is our SEL tool, and we were really excited to to announce that we hit our 10,000th interaction, our student interaction. And so, when you're just releasing a product like that, and you're gaining information, students at risk, all the way all the way at risk to things like suicide, to understanding um, whether they're having challenges or whether they're able to read at a certain level or how they're feeling about their classroom experience. Uh, these are interactions that our students spend in heartbeat and we're we're kind of excited about this because we feel like it's going to give teachers insights into their their student population that they just wouldn't have been there there's no other way for them to have this they could ask questions all day long and students won't answer so we're excited about that and we're excited about 
being able to provide those those insights to, to to teachers and you know from us from a hiring perspective we we are hiring uh, right now we're hiring sales reps and customer success managers and and these positions all can be found on our website under our career section um, and and you can also find those positions on on LinkedIn as well so yeah we're we're really excited about where we're going as we continue to progress in the future and we're excited about um, how many more schools and districts across the United States, Canada, into Mexico and the globe that we can hit as we as we continue to grow the business. So we really appreciate you having us on as well and, and this conversation has been absolutely awesome to have and very real and, and I hope that it I hope it reaches a lot of different teachers and gets them thinking differently about their their own futures. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. to give a special thanks to Andy for coming on and sharing so much great information with the teacher career coach community. We covered a lot of important topics and great resources even for teachers staying in the classroom. So make sure that you find this episode's transcripts linked in the show notes if you want to review any of the items that were discussed. As always, please continue to help share this podcast with others who are looking for this type of support, and I'll see you on the next episode.